is was uh, announced uh, earlier next week we're just going to have a special communion service we'll start at at 10 across the hall uh, with pancakes and bacon which is really should be the model of the new testament church is that church is better with bacon i think is probably one they could probably put on their mission statement so we would love to have you be part of that it's always fun i think to um, think about uh, what the new testament church looked like Likely, the New Testament churches that these writers are writing to are small groups of people, 15 to 20. They're just learning about Jesus, learning what the gospel is, sitting around and having a meal. And the only thing that is consistent about the early church was that they had this love feast, the agape meal uh, together, and they would share together in that. And so we're going to spend some time thinking through uh, what that looks like. We've been going slowly through First uh, John, and uh, we're going to be in First John chapter 2, which we'll get to uh, in just a minute. But it's sometimes, I think, really interesting to go through some of these letters that are written to uh, New Testament churches because it's sometimes, I think, helpful to realize they struggled with the same things that we struggle with 2,000 years later, and these words are still like, whoa, this is really important for me today, and it was written so long ago. They struggle with the same sort of things, and this this group, again, probably a small group gathering of people, it's possible that they as a group, have the gospel of John, and then they're like trying to figure out, okay, what does that mean for us? And so John writes them, First John, and then Second and Third John. Come on, let's get it right, guys. And it's just this reminder of, okay, this is who you are because of what Jesus has done. And it's helpful for us, I think, to really dive in every once in a while, especially to the letters, because it helps us to think through it. And the translations that, that we have are oftentimes very helpful. The NIV is very popular today. Many of you maybe grew up with the King James Version. There's even today the Cowboy Bible, if you really love cowboys and what a cowboy might say about uh, the, the letters. But it's helpful, I think, sometimes to, to go even beyond some of these translations and look at the original language together because it helps us to get a bit deeper. I heard it um, said like this. Many of you have been to an eye doctor and you look at one of these things when you're there and uh, you get the chance to figure out, okay, how is my vision? I always do horrible at this test. Uh, I have awful vision. The Mandy and I, when, when we got married, the First morning, we woke up next to each other. I looked at my phone like this, and she was like, what have I done? For so many reasons, but uh, that was one reason. I had no idea your vision was that bad. And so when I'm at the eye doctor, this, this gives me a little bit of fear, because if I don't have my contacts in, I really can't see anything at all. But oftentimes, I think um, we can think of the Christian message from these kinds of, of angles, and we can get maybe down to that D-F-N-P-T-H letter just on our own reading through the English translation, but it's sometimes helpful to go a little bit deeper together to think through, okay, what is the writer really saying? What's the communication in this original language? So that's what we've been trying to do together uh, through First John. And John has some, some really great things to say and important things for us all uh, to think about. So First John chapter 2, verse 15, which Emily read for us earlier, says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Which is interesting because this almost seems like a reversal of John 3.16. It's like, John, wh- what? Like, okay, I thought you said God loved the world, the most popular uh, verse in Scripture. You know, for God so loved the world, John 3.16. What? Like, do not love the world or anything in the world. What exactly does this mean? And I think we get what John is getting at here, that there are things that we can love 
a little bit too much. There are things that we can sometimes put in front of God and we can end up not even meaning to, but worshiping those things perhaps with the time that we spend with them, the devotion that we have to them. So what John, I think, is communicating here is that, yes, I said John 3.16, for God so loved the world. I, I am saying that, but God can love the whole world because God loves the world perfectly. You guys need to be careful with what you're loving and be careful with how you're spending your time and understand that you need to appropriate your time and, and the way that you have been blessed, your talents, in a certain way. Basically because it's not going to be around forever. And I think that's increasingly difficult. I think this has always been difficult in human history, but especially with the technology that we have available to us today. I found this quote in an article about this. Americans check their phone on average once every 12 minutes. Some of you are way above average. I'm maybe above average. Burying their heads in their phones 80 times a day, according to new research. A study by Global Tech Protection and Support Company, Asurion, the very trustworthy, found that the average person struggles to go a little more than 10 minutes without checking their phone. And of the 2,000 people surveyed, one in 10 check their phones on average once every four minutes. And this is just unbelievable because this is such a shift in human history, right? This hasn't been around forever, and all of a sudden we can't live without it, which is amazing, isn't it? Like, okay, like, how could I ever survive without it? People did for a long time. And I think one of the things that's actually helpful about technology that provides a little bit of a map for us is if you are struggling with, okay, you know, do I love the world too much? Is there something that I love too much? You probably have evidence of it at your fingertips, like, all you have to do is scroll over on your phone to the part that says, like, your favorite apps. You can probably just go, yeah, that's, that's one, two, three, four. I mean, do you have any Bible apps in your top four? I don't know. I mean, maybe you do. Hopefully you do. I'm not judging you if you don't. But it's pretty easy, I think. We leave a bit of a footprint. I mean, for some of us, it might be something like uh, Facebook. Here's a, a graph with how often people use so In June 2017, this was a study of Facebook monthly active users. Uh, and it's in 2017 got to 2 billion. It's now over the 2 billion mark. And they did a, a study that was even deeper than this one. And they found that uh, the average Facebook user um, looks at Facebook more than 10 times a day. And let me just tell you, I, I think I've tried to give this advice many times. Whatever social media platform it is that you prefer, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it happens to be, my one piece of very practical advice for living in today's world, I have my Facebook password um, stored on a computer, and then I just, when I want to look at it, I will go to that computer and spend a few minutes, you know, I maybe want to see something. So sorry, Lars and Jill, I missed your announcement yesterday. Uh, but uh, so there are some things that, that I miss from time to time, but it is very helpful. So if there's one practical piece of thing that you ever listen to me on, don't just have access to that all the time. Because it's amazing how much time you can spend on it just kind of doing nothing. Just as, as a social experiment, how many of you saw the um, Paul McCartney video? Um, did you see that, the viral video um, with James Corden? That's who it is. Raise your hand if you saw that. Okay, that's quite a few of us, and, and it was amazing. I'm actually telling you, you should go see it because it's really great, but um, it's because it's just out there, and that, and that uh, 
Mandy mentioned it to me, and so we watched it together on Friday evening. It was 23 minutes long. And it, it is worth your time. It's a lot of fun to watch. It's uh, with Paul McCartney going to some of the places where he and the, the Beatles wrote some of their songs together, wrote their songs about. So it was really, really fun uh, to watch. But we act like we don't have time, and we just, many of us spent 23 minutes watching that, right? That's not like just a little short viral video. That was pretty lengthy. And it's because of the place that we're spending our time. Or how about email, for example? Uh, the Americans, a study, check their email. Um, 34% of us check it throughout the day. So just all the time, it's there, and you're just on it all the time, just checking it to, to make sure. Uh, the largest uh, per- percent of us check it one to three times, but that makes it over 60% of people are, are checking at least that much, and only 1%, per, 1.6% check it never. And we know who you are, and we don't like you because it's annoying because <laughs> we just wrote you an email, and how, how did you not get that? It's an email. I didn't, how did you not get that? And we just have this just available to us all the time. And we talked about wisdom a few weeks ago, and so often I think we live in the world of it's not wrong, but is it wise? Is it wise to use your time like that? Another app that's popular in different forms is um, any sort of mobile banking. And we think it's great. You know, we live in a world today that you don't have to go and do stuff at the bank because that sounds like so old and you have to like go and hand a check and then they give you some money and it was this weird experience. But studies actually show that people spend more time banking now than they ever have, which doesn't make sense because it seems like it's more fast, it's just faster and convenient, but it's just one of those things that you check among your list, right? You have your email to check, you have your bank, and do you really need to know What's in your checking account every single day? Probably not. You need to know what's in your savings account. You need to know what's in your retirement accounts. Probably not because you're not going to need it for a while. But we just check this stuff. It's one of those things. And so I would just ask you to think through, what is it perhaps that I'm a bit too attached to? Because as great as technology is, it leaves you a pretty apparent footprint. What are the, the favorites? What are the things that you seem to look at all the time? Be careful, John is saying, about these things, these things that we know, we know in our heart, you know, this is temporary, it's not going to last forever, but do we really act like that? John continues and, and says this, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. This word, the desires of the flesh, is a word sarcos that comes up several times. It's this understanding of just the, the things that are, are, are cravings that are in our hearts. And the word that is used for life there, the pride of life, is the word bios. And that just means basically like the way that you live. It's the word that we get biology from. And so the things that you do, oftentimes we can be so defined by whatever it is that we do. Like we... You usually would say your name first, and then you say what job you do, right? You say, like, oh, I'm this. And uh, one guy I listen to on podcast often, he says that he just drives him crazy when people will say, I'm just a, and whatever it is, fill in the blank of whatever it happens to be. Like, I'm just, like, oh, I didn't go to school, or I didn't get all this education, so I'm just uh And this just breaks his heart that just in their introduction to themselves, they're saying, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm all that, not that significant or not all that special. And this actually is a bit of the reverse of that, taking a bit too much 
pride and satisfaction in what you do. Be careful about that. Be careful about just living for other people and think about the ways that you're living your life. Are you spending enough time with your family? Are you spending enough time with those that you love? Are you dedicated uh, to, to people who actually matter? Or are you too focused on your livelihood, the pride of stuff? And what John is trying to get us to think about mainly is it's not that it's bad. It's just that it's temporary. And you can spend your entire life even on some good stuff. And then it's temporary. It's all going to go. When Mandy and I were first married, we lived in Pasadena for a few years, and there was a walk that we would take often, and we would go buy a, a furniture store. And for the entire three years of our marriage, it was clearance at this furniture store. And it's like, it has to go closing soon. And you've all seen those, like, wait a minute, this has been closing for like three and a half years. And I guess it's a way um, to, to get people in there. But it's this message, like, it all has to go. Like, and then it kept, we keep saying, like, very soon it's all going to go. But they would change the paint. It was very strange. But that's what John is basically saying here. There are are things that you can easily dedicate your life to, and it's all going to go one day. It's all going to go in this different direction. Are you living towards the things that deeply matter? John concludes this thought and says, basically, the world and its desires, they pass away, but the will of God and whoever participates in that lives forever. This reminds me very much of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a, is a book in the Old Testament, and Solomon, who writes it, you would think that it was just going to be the most exciting book ever. Just think of your most fa- your favorite celebrity or athlete or musician, and that person is finally releasing a tell-all book about his or her life, you know, and you're just expecting amazing gossip and how all the parties went crazy and all this, all this stuff. You have these expectations as you sit down to read this book. And Solomon is a way bigger deal than any celebrity that we could even really know. He has unlimited access to money, whatever it is, and he experiences it all. He basically says, like, you know that party like a rock star life that you wish you had? I did it all. I tried working really hard. I tried not working. I tried all the ladies in the world. And I didn't really try the other way. I tried all the ladies in the world. I had unbelievable access to money. I tried all of these things, these things that you might spend your life pursuing, and you couldn't do it as hardcore as me. Trust me, Solomon basically is saying. And you would expect that this book with reflections on Solomon's life would just be amazing. Like, wow, tell me a little bit about like all the fun that you had and all the things that happened. And the word that is used the most in that book is the Hebrew word hevel, which is translated meaningless. 33 times. And actually, a better translation, if we're getting a little more technical, would be the English word BS, is kind of what that word means. Like, basically, I tried it all, and it's all BS. And again, you would think, wow, this guy did it at everything. He tried it all. He did everything that you could possibly imagine to like turn it up to 11 level, you know? I mean, he did everything that you could possibly have hoped for, the things that I can dream about, the things that you can dream about. And he says that all of this stuff is meaningless. So 33 times in 12 chapters, meaningless, 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 meaningless. And in the midst of that book, there's one of my favorite verses, God set eternity in the human heart. That there's something in all of us 
that knows that there's something more out there. And you can spend your entire existence just spinning your wheels and and partying or whatever it is, just fill your desires to the nth degree. But Solomon's reflection is, as I've done all of this, as all of this is going on, I've found that that stuff is meaningless. There's belonging for eternity that I have. And I would argue that we all have it. And this is what John is getting at here. Are you living for the stuff that is not going to pass away? We've talked that one of the themes of the Gospel of John, then continuing on into 1 John and 2 and 3 John, is the word zoe, that there's something that we can live for. And usually when that phrase is translated, it's eternal life. And we think of eternal life as this place with cherubs and clouds and this really far away place that looks like a progressive commercial. But uh, what, what he's trying to say is that eternal life, what the word eternity literally means is it has no starting and no ending point. So what that means is not like when you die and you close your eyes and you go to heaven. What that means is it can start now. That there are things that we can all participate in, that we can be involved in, that connect our hearts to the eternity that we all long for, not just in this far-off distance, but now. And this is what John is trying to get us to think about, because the things of this world will pass away. And where is the places, the spots in your life where you experience what you're really called to think about, to be part of. And I think this is getting increasingly hard, not just in, in churches, but in all forms of life. I have a friend who is, works in the counseling center at USC, and he and I were having coffee a few months ago, and he was talking about how they try to put programs together that will be beneficial to the USC student body, which is roughly a million people. And they have a ton at USC. It's a huge campus. Uh, and at the campus, they try to offer things through the student health center and the counseling center that will be a blessing to the kids. And so they had, uh, they'll do things like where they put a bunch of events together. They'll have really, really great food. You know, Chipotle will be catering it. And it's on some topic that would be super relevant to college students, like mental health or something like that. And they put it all out, and then like they have a special speaker who's coming to talk about it. So it's free dinner, amazing speaker, and three people show up. And this isn't just a problem in, in churches. It's a problem everywhere where you would think that a college student would say, hey, like, can I come learn about memorization? Can I come learn about something else? Can I come learn how my brain works and get free dinner? That sounds amazing. But it's getting increasingly hard to get people to show up for stuff, even stuff that really matters. And why is that? Because there's always some new show on Netflix to binge watch, right? And it's always something. It's this new thing for now, but in a few weeks it'll be something else. There's always something. They're really good at coming up with exactly what you want to watch. And it's just this endless well. And we can get so attached to this stuff. And again, it's not just in like religious circles, it's everywhere. It's hard for people to 
show up to be part of things that really matter. They're saying the same thing in politics. It's hard to get people to actually like really show up and have face-to-face conversation and have dialogue. The things of this world are, are sticky. The verbs that are used here in John are in the present tense that it's going to be hard for you. And I think, again, technology just gives us an easier way for this stuff to stick and just be ever-present in our lives. What would it look like for you to step away from some of that stuff that you just think about all the time or can weigh on you so much? I love the quote by C.S. Lewis about this. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. I love that phrase, when infinite joy is offered to us. If there's something that our world is lacking, I think that could be it right there. And we have a lot of stuff we have a lot of things. We spend a lot of time, just whatever your desire is, whatever you want, it's just right there at your fingertips. But we desperately need more joy. And it's easy to be enticed. And some of this stuff is, is good stuff. It's meant for us to be enjoyed. But the problem is we often put those things, which I think help us to long more for God, to our relationship with our Creator. We put those things in the place that they're not meant to be, and they can't hold that weight. And when God created the world, He calls it good. There are good things for us to enjoy and participate in, but they're not supposed to give us, like, ultimate satisfaction and joy. And what does it look like for you? What would it look like for your heart to be more connected with your God, your Heavenly Father, who desires good things for you. A couple weeks ago, I went to uh, DreamWorks. One of my friends from Pepperdine works there, and they were premiering a couple short films. And if you've ever been to DreamWorks campus, it's really amazing. It's beautiful, just a few blocks uh, from here. So he said, you can have your family come over. It'll be a lot of fun. So we went to uh, over there, and uh, Carter loved it because there's some fish, and there's a fish pond that he was uh, running up and, and checking out, and there was a, a food celebration before and then after uh, the movie as well, and so Carter was sprinting around trying to look at all the fish and some of the ponds, and he was going all over this campus. It is huge, and then we walked over to uh, the area with food, and there was high sea, which is just amazing for him. He's like, oh my goodness, high sea, and, and I thought about as I'm holding his hand walking through this with all these people he would be lost without me here. Like, there'd be, he'd be, like, running off to the fish, going all over the place. He'd be, within a couple minutes, uh, he would be lost. He would probably have about five high seas and just throw those things back. And high sea is best enjoyed in moderation. And uh, so I was just thinking about that, that moment of, of me, like, holding hands and helping to guide him around DreamWorks campus and think about what he's drinking. And I thought about how often we have nobody or or nothing generally today that's doing that for us. That's helping to recenter us. And we end up pretty aimless at times, right? And no wonder we're aimless because 
like that study said, you know, every four minutes, it's like, I mean, how are you supposed to do anything or go anywhere if you're just tethered to this reality that's just always grabbing for your attention? I mean, the bottom line is that at that party, there wasn't just high C, there was adult high C's as well. And, and as I thought about it, I mean, I, I've just tried in that area of life to try and live with, with moderation because I think that's the, the best way to live. But I believe that I have a heavenly father who's interested in, in me flourishing, who desires that I would walk with him in all areas of life and in all moments of life. And it's not like God is up there just waiting to, to get mad at me. In fact, God, I think, is just wanting to communicate, I love you and want to pick you back up and get you back on this road. I want you to flourish. I want you to be involved in the things that I'm calling you to. And it's not because you can't find some joy in this stuff. It's because you're meant for something deeper. There's eternity set in your heart. And so much of this stuff that we end up spending time dedicated to and thinking about and and stressed over, it's sad to see some of the anxiety rates that exist today. And it's just because we're constantly worrying. One of the worst things that celebrities say about being a celebrity is just constantly like taking care of their image and worrying about paparazzi and all the things that they have to worry about as celebrities. And the issue is like we've become our own celebrities, right? Because we're taking pictures of our lives. We're our own paparazzi taking pictures everywhere we go. And we worry about how much it's going to get liked. We worry about all this stuff. And of course, there's anxiety that's tied to that. We need to think about, are we living for what really matters? Don't attach yourself too much to stuff that's just going to pass away eventually. To stuff that is not going to be around 15 days from now, much less 15 minutes from now. Would you be willing to have a conversation with someone this week? And this is a conversation that you don't want to have. It's a conversation that I don't really want to have either. With someone that's close to you, someone that loves you, and just say, you know, what is it that you think I hold on a little bit too tightly to? And the fact is, you might, not, you might know what that is already, But what would it look like for you to approach that thing then after you have that conversation with someone who loves you and and cares about you and can hold you accountable to then say, all right, I want to get a little uh, Sabbath mentality on this. And the Sabbath ultimately in the Old Testament, it's meant to be a blessing for people. It's not meant to be a burden because they're coming out of slavery. And in slavery, they had this identity that was all built on how many bricks they could make. It was about bricks and bricks and bricks and bricks and meeting these quotas and doing all this stuff and continuing to produce, 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 produce. I think in many ways, we have the same way of living. Like we can start to think that our value is in what we produce. Where God wants us to slow down every once in a while and realize that our value is, is in who we are. That we are loved by our God. So what would it look like for you to have a conversation with somebody and to just brace yourself and say, okay, what is it that I need to to set down for a little bit? What area of life that I think about too much? And then spend the first time when you try to take a Sabbath from it. It doesn't have to be a certain day a week. Maybe your work week wouldn't be possible for you to do that, but spend 
your first time four hours without it and just see how you could do. And then maybe next week, try for five. I know at first it might be like, I just don't know if I can live an entire day without it. But eventually, I think you would realize that the Sabbath and stepping away was ultimately supposed to be a gift and supposed to be a reminder of what actually really matters and what's most important. It's also a time for you to recognize that your identity is truly in God. And your God deeply cares about you. And that doesn't mean that you don't work hard. That doesn't mean that you don't try. That doesn't mean that you don't use your talents. But in some ways, that gives you the energy to use those things better. Because, you know, for six days, you'll be working on that thing or doing all that stuff. And then if it's at the beginning, just a few hours on the seventh day for some time, you just set that stuff away. And then you'll be ready to get back to it the next time. There was a a meme that I saw this week that I think sums up a lot of this. It said, I wish I was as thin as when I I thought I was fat. (laughs) And I think that's a pretty good way to sum up a lot of the stuff that we can often think about. I wish I was as healthy as when I thought I was unhealthy. Now I have this issue that I'm dealing with and I'm realizing, wow, I was really healthy before. I wish I was as rich as when I thought I was poor. You can just fill in the blank and go on for days about all this stuff, right? What would it look like for you to recognize something that you've just put in a place that it shouldn't be? To acknowledge that with someone that loves you and to say, I want to be better about this moving forward. It's not because God wants you to feel bad about it. It's because your Heavenly Father truly cares about you. He cares about you participating in eternal life now. Because those things are the things that truly matter. May we have deeper desires, as C.S. Lewis invites us to think about. We can be far too easily pleased. Let us strive for what really matters. Let's pray together. God, we all struggle with this, and perhaps now more than ever, because we have the opportunity to be distracted and to not be fully present with those, even those that we deeply love. Father, may we recognize that You don't want us to live with this perspective because it makes things worse, but because it makes us better. It deepens us as your disciples and as your people. May we be willing to ask the hard question, what is it that I've attached myself too much to? What would it look like for me to give some of that up? Father, be with us as we think through that question, as we try to do it and live out what you've called us to in that. May we recognize how deeply you love us and how you're there for us in those moments that sometimes we feel aimless and lost. May we recognize that your ways are good for our lives. In your son's name I pray, amen.